Welcome to Unstyled. I'm your host, Christine Barbrick, co-founder and global editor-in-chief of Refinery29. Each week, I invite a notable person to come in and talk with us as we explore the funny, inspiring, sometimes heartbreaking tales of life, work, and love, as told through the things that we wear. Celeste Barber was working in the Australian entertainment industry for nearly 20 years before she became a viral superstar. But it was many of her scene-stealing roles in shows like All Saints and Home and Away that offered a hint that fame was coming. In fact, Barber would soon draw over 6 million followers on Instagram with a low-touch series that struck a major chord. Simple yet laugh-so-hard-you-cry videos that zeroed in at the heart of our image-obsessed reality. Titled hashtag CelesteChallengeAccepted, Barber's satirist series pokes fun at our insatiable infatuation with social media and herself, while also shining a light on how impossible it is to be perfect, even if Hollywood and influencers continue to tell us otherwise. Now, the very funny woman who made a career of being normal is a major celeb in her own right, with a book, a stand-up special on Showtime, and high-profile fans like Gwyneth Paltrow, Tom Ford, and Chelsea Handler. Like her photos and videos, Barbara herself is raw and unfiltered, being super candid about the emergency heart surgery she underwent at 25, the suicide of her best friend, and the highs and occasionally major lows of navigating motherhood. Her role as Barb on the hit series The Letdown is medicine for anyone going through it. In April, she premiered her podcast Celeste and Her Best on Luminary, where she and her best friend Thomas talked to other celebrities about what life is like beyond the impervious red carpet. And like pretty much everything else she does, the show is smart, funny, and obscenely addictive. As a self-proclaimed anti-it girl, Celeste Barber is building a career being exactly who she is and making plenty of room for the rest of us to do the same. Celeste Barber, it is such a pleasure to have you on Unstyled today. Thank you for having me. It's very nice to be here. This is such an excellent studio. Well, first of all, I'm super excited that you're here. I have many things I want to talk with you about. You have a Showtime special. But before we talk about that, you were in The Letdown, which is one of my favorite favorite, favorite, favorite shows. You were Barbara. Yeah. Yeah, this really, really incredible character. She was such a great character. I love playing her. I watched The Letdown when I was on maternity leave and with my first kid. And I do want to say that that show was was, you know, do you know the movie Tully with um, Charlize Theron? Oh, um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I only watched that recently. That is such a fantastic film, such a great premise for a film as well. I love that film. I love that film so much. I also, I watched it when I was on maternity leave and I remember my my husband kind of watching it. He's like, I don't want to watch this. It's like, it just makes me sad. It makes me, it makes me kind of upset. And I was just, I think because I was having a hard time. Right. But I actually thought it was so masterfully done, but I felt like there were so many elements of that in the letdown too. And I felt so, I don't want to say seen, but I just felt like so much more comfortable in the fact that I kind of felt like I was falling apart a little bit. Right. And your character plays a stay-at-home mother of three. Yeah. Why don't you just talk a little bit about that role? Because there are some elements of that that show up in your stand-up and show up in in your book as well. But it's really about this sort of stigma around being a mother, a you mother, know? And, yeah. and only being a mother yes. as well. Like when people say, "What do you do?" 
you know, when people go, I'm a mum, they go, oh, what did you do before that? And you're like, oh, is that not enough? <laughs> Fucking hell. I haven't slept in six years. Is that not enough? <laughs> yeah, the character, Barb, I love playing that. So Sarah Scheller and Alison Bell wrote The Letdown and we did the first season. And I remember reading it. I went for a few of the roles and I was like, no, like none of them really kind of stuck. And then I saw Barb and I was like, oh, this is wicked. She's so... She's such a mix of me and my sister, that role. That, uh-huh. That's how I kind of played her. Um, it, it was so it was so good to do to dive to dive into that world of going, I'm a mum and I'm a and that's enough and that's and I'm really great at it and the flaws of that. And it was fun too because my character was was the only one in the cast out of all of the um, mothers group that already had kids. All the others were first-time mums in the first season. So I already had Two twin, like had twins, not two twins, twins. So showing that that dynamic, I think, is really interesting as well. To go, even when you have a newborn, you, even if you've got kids, still having a newborn is fucking hard. It can be really tricky. And then going into that land of drinking mm-hmm. as a mum, and how you know the those drinks start getting a bit earlier and earlier in the day because it's hard. And that was such a awesome. Um, journey to explore for me. I really enjoyed it. But my favorite scene, it's worth talking about. It's like career day, I think, right? It's career day. Yeah. And and Barb is, she's the head, like the, she's the classroom boss or whatever they are with the parents. So she's the one that kind of organizes everything. And she's left off that email chain. She didn't get invited to career day because she's a mum. And the the girls wrote that so well that she was like, you know what, you, fuck you. Like I that that was such a great turning point for that character, and I loved it. Where she she's quite it's quite devastating for her because not only is she um, an excellent mum, she's in there looking after Audrey's daughter as well. Like because Audrey has to go to her other her job job, and it was so nice to have that moment and to have that opportunity. To go, I'm, I'm not just a mum, I'm a super mum. And I love that scene. It's one of my most favourite scenes. The feedback I get about that scene is next level. It's so, it's so lovely. Like, you know, especially on my Instagram, people like that. That is me. I'm doing the best I can. And, you know, I sometimes mums at school don't really talk to me because what are we going to talk about? They, th- It was so, it came full circle for me. It was such a moment. I loved it. I love that scene. But yeah. for people who haven't seen the scene, it's like Celeste's character shows up in a super in a superhero costume, and um, she's a Saham stay at home mum S A H M. Yeah, it makes a massive deal out of it. Yeah, but the best part is that the kids are so enamored with you, and they're like, "Wow!" And yeah. your kids are just so proud. And it was just like a great reminder about how important this sort of role I was this I was stepping into really was, right. and, and that I would do the best I could. And if I didn't live up to these really unrealistic standards and expectations I have for myself, that it was okay. So let's talk about this phenomenon of you on Instagram and and really like just all the joy that you bring to everybody every day with this hashtag slash challenge accepted. How did that start? I'm... There's a few reasons as to why it started. A, being a comedian, I wanted to make people laugh and I saw Instagram as a platform. And also... So much material to draw from. Oh, my God. <laughs> a plethora of, of yeah, of material. And just kind of... I kind of got sick of seeing bullshit 
served as everyday and as an attainable lifestyle and as what is the norm and what is it kind of expected, especially as women. And I, my sister and I just used to send photos to each other and she'd be like, is this what you look like dropping the kids off at school? <laughs> and I'm like, no, this is what I fucking look like dropping the kids off at school and would then send her a photo. And I knew there was something in that. So it kind of came from predominantly just wanting to make people laugh. And it's now obviously blown up into this awesome thing that I still, I love doing so much. <laughs> I have so much fun doing it. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's something I'm, ha- I'm so happy I did it to start with. Well, your, your stand-up special on Showtime, it's, it's cool because it actually integrates some of the highlights of this series that you started. Yeah, that's the section in the show, in the special called Allowed Not Allowed, where yeah. I put up a series of photos and show what were allowed to stay up on Instagram and what were not allowed, so what were pulled down essentially. And the 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 general idea is if you are rich, hot or famous, you are allowed to post whatever you want. Whatever you want, you can put it up there. If you are not so rich, hot or famous, all of a sudden fucking terms and conditions kick in and your stuff can get pulled down and blocked and you can your account can be disabled because of it and i wanted to i wanted to show that in just a really blatant way so i put up for example a photo of kim kardashian topless in a really provocative it's a fucking great photo she looks amazing good on her like a bit a really provocative shot which was fine, allowed to stay up. And then I straight away after that I put up a photo of a lady who is uh, quite a bit larger than Kim. She is not famous. It's not the most flattering photo of her. She is, however, wearing more than what Kim is wearing and it gets pulled down. So I do a series of those and then at the end of that section of the show I show the original photo of and then how that was fine and then I put my parody photo up next to it and showed that then that was then pulled down. The whole thing was then pulled down because I don't look the way they look and it was deemed inappropriate and pulled down. It doesn't happen so much anymore. Because you're famous. Because I'm famous. <laughs> yeah. And banging hot. And um, but, yeah, it's something that I – People are shocked about. I think we kind Instagram of Instagram reached out to you about that. I mean, are no. they just a, really? I also am, am acutely aware not to bite the hand that feeds me. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh shit! Oh god, what am I doing here? But people are are genuinely shocked by that. I think on some level we kind of knew it. We're mm-hmm. like, oh well, she can only do that because she looks like that and she or whatever. But when you put it up like that and you go, that was allowed and that was not allowed. People can't believe it, and especially men. Men are like what? And I'm like, yeah, the world's fucked. For a woman on social media, it's fucked. Well, welcome off of social media too. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about your, your book that, that came out last year. And it's interesting that it came out last year, but you're, you're so much more famous now. Are, are, are yeah. do you feel like more people are actually talking about the book now? Yeah. I think most people only really want to talk to me about my Instagram photos and making out with Tom Ford, which I'm fine with. Well, do you want to tell the Tom Ford story? Always. Yes. I mean, but I we mean, don't have to do that now. We can, that could be a whole separate podcast because I've got stories. In your book, there's, it's very, very funny. Also, you know, your history, obviously, and your upbringing, but, but also there's like some, some darker material in there too about a couple of really awful Me Too moments that you've had in, yeah. in the past. And, and I wondered first if you were comfortable talking about it and also, 
you know, the connection between, you're a very physical comedian too. I think that when I see you, I really think so much about Lucille Ball and just how, you know, she was someone that I really looked up to, not just because she had red hair, but because she was, she was really kind of trying to have it all, but showing at a very, at a very early kind of time in, in, in the entertainment industry that it was kind of a mess too, to try and have it all and do, and, and do it all and kind of like project this image of yourself, which really like all bullshit. So you remind me a lot of her, but I That's think, very kind. I appreciate that well, a lot. Well, I think it's true. <laughs> and, but I think the association behind being assaulted and objectified physically, the way you tell in these two instances in your book, and also the kind of physical comedy that you have and this, this really, this relationship that you have with your body. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, those Me Too moments for me, it was interesting because I didn't realise You were that, very young. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially for the first one. I was like, how old was I? Was I, 15? I think you were 15. 15, yeah. Yeah. I didn't realise that was a thing until I was writing it. And and I remember talking to my husband about it and saying, oh, you know, just going, oh, that was, oh, wow. And it happened at a, at a play? At, or... at, a, at a dance concert, our end of year dance concert. I danced as a kid and I absolutely loved it. I think obviously that ties in with the physicality. I've always been physical. Not an athlete by any fucking stretch of the imagination, but I've always just it's kind of one and one and the other for me with how I speak or especially with my comedy. I it doesn't it doesn't stop with just what I say. And that's something I've noticed as well with doing the stand up. I'm like, I am absolutely fucking exhausted at the end of that show. Absolutely exhausted because you, I don't stop moving. You're all over the stage. And I really love that though. Yeah. Like the, I love the the physicality of it all but um yeah that that first me too instance was was really full-on to kind of discover and like I say I was talking to my husband about it and he's like oh yeah that's like that you know that's like that other guy and I was like what and he goes that other guy that fucking radio dj guy and it's not as though I'd blocked it or anything I just kind of thought it was another thing and when we're talking about the other me too story and I was like what? And he goes, babe, that's a fucking thing. Like that's, that's a me too thing. That's, and as I was, it was really cathartic writing because I was like, hang, hang on a minute. This is, this is not okay. So, and, and I felt, I knew, I kind of remember, had more of a sensory memory of the first time it happened with the dance concert with, because they were just older men and. Also when you're 15, try and remember what it felt like to be 15 to really be so unsure of yourself and, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of growing into an adult. It's really kind of like on the cusp of becoming uh, Absolutely. An adult. But what I found as well is you're exactly right at that age. You're so vulnerable and you don't know, it's, everything is changing. However, I was so excited and confident and proud of myself at that concert. I'd worked so hard. I never got the solo at the concert and this year I got the solo at the concert and I couldn't fucking believe it. Actually, no, I could believe it because I had worked and worked and I had, my mum made my costume and I, I, was, I was flying. I was bloody Liza Minnelli. I couldn't, I couldn't have been happier and so... What a crash to earth it was to have those hideous men objectify me in the way that they did. And I just remember, and I wrote that in my book, going, 
after it happened, the first standing side stage, I've changed my shoes and, and hearing the first few bars of that music. And I was like, I, that's, I should be fucking on right now. I'd rehearse this. This was going to be the best moment. I should be on that fucking stage, but I'm back here having just been through something that I have no idea what that was or did I do that? And then I just remember going, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to fucking stand back here and cry and watch. And I just remember running out and thinking, you absolute motherfuckers. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it because I'd worked so hard for that moment. I want, they didn't ever touch me or anything, but they, they didn't. It was just horrible. I was so fucked off with them. I, I couldn't fathom. I couldn't fathom it. It was, yeah, it was too much. Well, I'm sorry that that happened to you, but I'm, I'm so, I'm just really admire the fact that even at 15, you had such, you had such courage and strength. I mean, I think to be just like, fuck this, I'm not going to let anybody take away my solo. Yeah. Two sons. Yeah. Five and eight. Five and eight. Yeah. So I also have two stepdaughters. Yes. Yes. So in terms of your sons, I mean, I mean, what do you think is important about raising boys today? Well, I raise my boys as feminists, mm-hmm. big, big fat feminists. <laughs> um, and I, I'm a big believer in a little less conversation, a little more action mm-hmm. to the point of leading by example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and my husband is is Fifty Shades of Fantastic when it comes to that as well. So if I'm doing a photo and the boys are there, my eight-year-old will go, Mum, that's – what does he say? That's that's private or that, you know, Mum, that Aww. shouldn't. He wants and, to protect you. Yeah, and I go, yeah, I get it. But, well, and also I'm doing some pretty weird shit. So, your uh, husband takes your pictures for Instagram. Yeah, most of the time, mm-hmm. yeah. But um, he – my husband will say to the boys, Mum's working. Mm-hmm. This is work which I really appreciate that he doesn't... Belittle it? Yeah, because I am working and and he'll go, like if we're going to go somewhere into a room and do a photo, he'll go, mum just needs me to help her with work for a minute and then we'll be back. Or I need to, can you help me get that for, it's for work, mum's going to work. And I really appreciate that and I think that helps so the boys don't just think that I'm just being silly. Yeah. And also I, I travel a lot now with them as much as I can. And I work a lot now. So they see me working and RP, my husband, is at home being an excellent dad. So they see that i got to do what i got to do. But also I'm, you know, I'm pretty vocal about, you know, if we're watching some sort of sporting game and all the footballers are footballing mm-hmm. and then at halftime the cheerleaders come on, I always say to the boys, just see that. Just, I just want you boys to acknowledge that. That does. There's, there's not a flip to that. Mm-hmm. When there's a female soccer team playing, yeah, or a female football team playing, men don't then come on in the middle to celebrate them. Yeah, I'm just, I'm not saying let's flip a table over it. I'm just, I just want you to be aware of it. And they get it. Yeah, they do. But and they're like, oh, I get it. That seems a little weird. Yeah, but and then they're like, yeah, why? And then they move on. And I'm like, good. I just want you to to kind of question that be like why is that or I'll go no Serena Williams is absolutely fantastic because she's fighting because she didn't get 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Paid as much as he got paid and they're like, why? Okay, good question. Just that sort of, that sort of stuff. I like to talk to them about. That's awesome. And I say, yes, queen, all the time to them, <laughs> or, which I love. And my husband does as well. Like, and Do we, they say it back? Yeah. Okay. And, and I'll go get a girl or something silly like that. And then they went through a phase, especially my oldest boy, Lou. He'll go, I'm not a girl. I go, you yeah, know, I know. But remember, you say, hey, guys, come here, guys, when you're talking to me and Nana and Dad. So it's just, it's just let's blend it all. So I like, I like to... Keep them aware of that. Those poor boys. They're probably like, oh, just let me live, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the Showtime special. Celeste Barber, challenge accepted. The Instagram stuff had taken started mm-hmm. to take off and I was doing a lot of press about it, about the account. And I don't like press. I don't, I, I, it's, it, it freaks me out. Why? Because that I, I just don't like talking about myself. I'm so sick of myself. I cannot begin to tell you. I, and I'm not. I'm not sick of you at all. I, that's very kind, and I I, that, I get that a lot from people. And this is just something that I need to overcome. I also think it's the Australian in me that we we Do you kind think it's of imposter syndrome. I've been thinking about that 100%. a lot. Hundred percent. And yeah. I like last night, for example, I was out for dinner with some friends, and I bought their dinner, and they were like, no, 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 don't, don't. And I was like, listen, <laughs> in six months, when I'm working in a fucking cafe. <laughs> you guys can buy me dinner, but at the moment I'm doing all right. And I and they're like, you have to stop saying that. But it's it's how I feel. I feel that way too sometimes. And that's and I, that's just kind of it's kind of a good thing because it means I'm almost prepared. I'm like it could and and I've been in this industry for so long and I've had you know the highs and lows are unbelievable, like feast and famine, like nothing else. So you kind of just and now I've got kids and a family and a bit older. Yeah. I'm like caught a land in a minute. I mean, who remembers MySpace? Not me. So Instagram could do that as well. But I was aware of that. When I was doing the press, I was like, I'm more than just these photos. This is way back when, when I was starting it. So I, and I'm very active, proactive in my career, always have been. Just keep going. Just yeah. get, make it work. And that then means as well I get to retain creative control. If I'm, if I'm creating it and people go, oh, we like that, I go, great, but I'm the boss of it. Mm-hmm. So when I wrote the show, I was like, I remember I just booked a space in Sydney for three months out from that date. After you'd finished writing it? No, I hadn't written it. Oh, boy. I was like, I need to get on stage. I need to I need to get, I need to essentially get off Instagram. Not get off it, but I need to now prove myself. I've got all these eyes on me now and I want to show what I can do. So I, I remember booking a space three months out. And went, oh, write a show, bitch. So then I called my friend Craig Anderson and, you know, we put it together and I did two nights in Sydney and it fucking killed. It, and that was kind of, I've done a little bit of stand-up before that, but I'm not someone who's done 15 years of working rooms and playing to four people in bingo halls. Like mm-hmm. I, I've, I'm an actor and I was very lucky that I had enough of an audience via Instagram that I could book a space, book a theatre and I filled it. And because I've trained in the craft and I'm a comedian and all that sort of stuff, the show was good. And then I 
I thought, oh, this is this is really something. And then, you know, you guys, America took note of the Instagram and that I was trained and I know what I'm doing and then I booked the tours out here and then it just went absolutely – I did like last year I did 45 shows in six weeks. In the US? In the US. Really? Yeah, on a tour bus with my – Best friend, Thomas. That's like Jerry Seinfeld level, like yeah, touring. I'm, I'm not getting his money. I can tell you that much. I'm not getting Seinfeld money. Well, eventually. Yeah. Well, no, prob- probably not. <laughs> I don't think anyone mm, will ever get that money. May, I don't know. I actually think that it's really important for us to not put limits on on what we're capable of because you just don't know. You could actually have the next Seinfeld. I, I mean, why not? Done. So it was just me and my best friend who... Thomas Campbell, who is a fucking incredible actor, like an award-winning actor. And I was like, can you tour manage me? And he went, yep. And so really? He came on, yeah. And and we did it together. So it was just... Did your family come too? Well, we had a tour bus. Uh-huh. And so it was like this big fuck-off tour bus. So you actually slept on the, on the bus? Yeah, yeah. So it was just me and Thomas and Alec, our driver, fucking... Bam! We loved it. Then my family joined at the end and we became the fucking Griswolds. Like, it was like, oh, Where party, did you go? Party's over. We just, we all, uh, uh, name somewhere and I went there. Did you go to see Mount Rushmore? No. Oh. <laughs> but I did, I went to Wichita. What's there? Yep, me. <laughs> For an hour. You're Australian. What do you think the biggest difference is between Australia and, and the US? There's, it's very, it's big. There's big. It's big. big. Yeah, it's big. Australia and the UK are we're much more similar. We're all quite sarcastic and self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. I've noticed here it's not as much. Like I'll, see, it's hard. I will say something in a conversation that's really sarcastic and people will go, Oh right, no, oh oh no, she's funny. <laughs> oh no, hang on a minute. Oh wait, I should be laughing. Oh no, wait, that oh my god, that's hilarious. And I'm like, well laugh, dickhead. Don't ever say something is hilarious. You just laugh. But I am again very grateful, lucky and grateful that social media makes that comedy world a lot smaller for me and makes those barriers a lot less because I think if I was doing this 10 years ago, it'd be, you know, and I have friends who are comics who have, you know, obviously done it before me and they get on stage over here and there's the first few minutes where people are kind of going, well, it's, we just have different ways of how we speak. Our melodies are different. We, we can't, that's what we sound like. I know, trust me. But I don't. I don't have that. I don't have that barrier because of my social media. People know how I sound. They know yeah. when I say suck a fart or bag of dicks or they know what I'm talking about. So I that's a good thing. But I have to say I, I have toured America extensively and loved it. And then I did the UK and Europe and it was so different. 
In Europe, they were just like, oh, they just the whole time. They were like clapping Losing along. Losing their minds. Yeah, clapping along the whole time. I was like, this is where I should be shooting my fucking special in Helsinki. This is amazing. <laughs> People are on their feet from the beginning. This is incredible. They need the comedy there. Yeah. In I, Helsinki. It's a pretty dark place. Yeah. <laughs> I think America might need the comedy too. Here. I think we yeah. do. But, um, but then going to the UK, I had to work for it. I had to work, work at, same as in New York. It's the same here in New York, I found, as in like through Britain and then home in Australia. you got to work for it. People are like, all right, what do you got? Whereas more throughout America, not New York, they're like, thanks, we're just so happy to have you and happy and really, really positive. I talk about that in my show, how you Americans are a very, very positive bunch. We are not like that in Australia. Do you think you're moving to the US? Are you going to move to LA? I don't know. I, uh, Do you feel pressure because your because your career is really kind of you know taking off in a in a bigger way? Um, I fly business now, so I'm happy. I don't know if I need to. Good. I don't know if I need to move here. Acting is my very first love, but I now have three boys at home, mm-hmm. my husband and my two babies, that are the beginning, middle, and end. So. I will never stop doing what I do, but you, your priorities shift. They, they, they do, and that's not to say that I'm going to say no to anything here that I, that that is really exciting for me. But I'm also not going to. I'm not. I'm not going to make everyone I love have the same dreams that I have. I, I, I'm not going to do that to them. So, I love that. Well, it's really important to me how happy they are, as it is important to them how happy I am. We're a really tight unit, especially my husband and I. Like I called him the other day. I've been here two days. I was like, I miss you. I miss the boys. And I just don't know why, you know, you guys should come. And he was so great. He's like, just go and do it. You're back in two weeks. We've got it here. He goes, and if you don't want to do it, don't do it. And I was like, oh, that's so true. He goes, but you're there and you, and you, so go get into it. Don't go away just to miss us. Go and fucking work and come back and, and enjoy buy, it and buy me a surfboard. Yeah, like he's he's excellent like that. That's and, unconditional support. You oh, know? He's unbelievable, yeah. That is honestly one of the greatest gifts in a relationship. I, I couldn't do it without him, nor do I want to. I have no interest in doing it without without all of them. But... My managers are great as well. My managers out here and at home, they're like, you don't really need to Good. fully relocate. I mean, I was here for three months. I think a lot of people get that pressure. They feel like, oh, you know, I, I feel like if I, if, I don't, if I don't do this, I'm not, really taking it, I'm not really taking it seriously. Yeah. But I don't think, I think that we live in a time where you can really just operate and create your own headquarters anywhere you are. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, internet. That whole thing of um, out of sight, out of mind mm-hmm. is not really a thing anymore because I'm not really out of sight when I'm not here. I'm If I post, someone said to me once, I can't remember, they're like, me posting is almost like me gigging, mm-hmm. doing gigs. So, so, and if I move everyone here permanently, I, I know me, I'll be like, I need to say, yeah, I need to do that and I need to do that and I need to do that and I won't. I won't be true to who I am because I feel like I have to be justifying why we're here, that I need to yeah. be busy all the time. And I'm a big, fat lady who says no to most things. I'm not a big, fat lady. Hang on. 
I say no to a lot of things. I say no to most things. Well, I think saying no is just as important as saying yes. I think it really, really is. And I think it almost takes a little bit more confidence to say no, to walk away from something that you know isn't going to make you that happy. Yeah. You know? I'm not doing it just to prove something. No, Mm-mm. not at all. And and your career is defined by what you say no to. That's how I that's how I look at it. So oh, that's a good one. That, that works for me. Oh, God, there's poor people out there going, no one's hiring me. And I'm like, oh, well, sorry, they're hiring me. I'm an overnight success 15 years in the making. I mean. That's going on my tombstone. I'm with you on that. I think I'm the same way, 15 yeah. years. So you, one of the things that you wrote about in your book, which I think is – it's really frightening, obviously, is that you had an open heart surgery when you were 25 um, to close a hole in your heart. And so did you know that you had that disorder your whole life? You didn't. So what exactly happened? Do you mind just talking no, about I don't it? Mind because at that all. was kind of a that was a pretty difficult period of your life. So how did you know that you had this you needed this surgery? Um I was born with a hole in my heart. We didn't know that though. And I remember always dancing and everything and always kind of being Short of breath, but not really caring because I just loved, da- loved dancing so much and just thought, oh, well, yeah. that dance was hard. And- the irony is that it was very interesting knowing that you had this sort of physical challenge, but then right. you were so you were so sort of athletic. Yeah. yeah. No one's ever called me athletic. I love you. Um, I, I remember my husband and I had just moved in together for the first time and I was walking every day. I just I wasn't working in acting and so I threw myself into trying to get fit. And I did this same walk every day. And I couldn't get my time down. Not that I was trying to, but I was just like, it was a 50-minute walk over the Anzac Bridge in Australia, in Sydney and back to my house in Balmain every day. Bang, 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 bang. And I was like, I'm, I'm fucked at the end of I'm six months. I was like, why can't I get any fitter? Like mm-hmm. why is this no easier? Not that that was a real focus, but I was just really interested by it. Yeah. And even now, see, when I talk, if I, if I talk a lot and get quite animated, I get out of breath. Yeah. But um. I could never walk up a flight of stairs. Walk up a flight of stairs, i got to stop because I just couldn't breathe. Then I started, because I was exercising quite a lot, I got started getting stabbing pains down my arm and my arm, left arm was numb. That's like heart attack symptoms, yeah. right? Yeah. And then kind of going, oh, maybe I just need to kind of stretch it. That's yeah. what, you know, and then getting a few flutters and went, okay. And I'm remembering I'm 25, so you don't go, you know what that is? These are bloody, that's a precursor to a hole in the heart. Like you don't think like that. No. You think I probably should just do some more yoga and maybe not drink as much. Fuck, I don't know. And then went to the doctor and they said, you have a hole in your heart and it's it's two and a half centimetres, which is huge. Your, your heart's the size of your fist. Yeah. So that's a, that's a big hole, right? And they said we have to do keyhole surgery, which is just up through your femoral artery and your groin. Like just it's an hour and a half surgery. So I was filming. I was on the show All Saints in Australia. Yeah. They gave me Friday off to have the surgery. And then I was meant to be back on set Monday. Like it's actually quite straightforward surgery. So they just put a, the stent in your up through your groin into your heart. Then they they attach the stent. Then they pull that thing out. That, that puts it uh, oh, in. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know how gross is this. I'm like Ugh. this is nothing compared to what happened, which I won't get into because it's in the book. But the long and the short of it is, they went to put that thing in, and because the hole was in a kind of tricky part of my heart. They went, fuck, it's not actually working. So what we're going to have to do is just have to quickly take it out, which is fine. We have to wake Celeste up when we have to talk about our options. The thing that happened was they went to pull it out. Oh, my God. But it snapped. It malfunctioned in my heart. So the thing, the little fucker, 
snapped off in my heart and it was kind of half lodged and half not and they went, uh, shit, <laughs> like in my head there were probably sirens and everything, the yeah. whole world crumbled around me. And then I went into seven hours of emergency open heart surgery and woke up seven hours later going, um, can, can I have a chat to someone about what the fuck just happened, please? Most terrifying, terrifying time in my life was the recovery of that, the hour coming out of anaesthetic. Oh, God, it, it just makes me feel quite ill when I think about it, the fear. <sighs> I just I thought I had died. I just I was, I was so cold and scared. And who was yeah. there? Who is who from your family was there? Arpie, Arpie and my mum. Okay. Always. Always Arpie and my mum. Then my dad came down and my sister had just had her son ten days earlier. So she couldn't come down. She had a little baby and she was she's a nurse and she's beside herself. She's like, I can't get to you. But yeah. And everything was okay. Everything's okay. I got rehab after it was tricky and I ended up getting fluid on my lung and pleurisy, all this just really full and stuff. So now still when I talk, I've got a little bit of like some scar tissue on my lung. Uh -huh. So I can't, when I get animated, like on stage as well, I have to pace myself on stage. And sometimes I have to kind of, if I get too excited and I do even more physicalities than I usually do, I'm, 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 I have to comment in the, like to the audience and go, I'm out of breath. Give me a second and yeah. have a sip of wine or just, yeah. A sip like, of wine. A sip of wine. I yeah. Know. Yeah. It's, all, it's all a ruse just to have a sip of wine. <laughs> <laughs> so Celeste challenge accepted. What would you say the next challenge is? I already feel like you're on to something next. What's, what's happening? I'm in development for a show. That's all I can tell you, which really annoys me because I want Is to it your show? Did you create it? Yeah. Okay. I want to scream it from the mountaintops, but I can't yet. Okay. And it makes me can you tell? Can you tell me anything? I think it's a slippery slope for me because if I start, I'll be like, and this, and this, and this, and I just can't do it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, God, that was a bloody good teaser though. My it next, really was. My next challenge, my actual, actual like challenge in life is I want to play the king in Hamilton. Really? Yeah. Oh. The ultimate role. I can't sing and I'm not a man, but fuck that. I mean, if Ashley Simpson can play on Broadway, I, I reckon I can play on Broadway. Never say never. I, I don't. I, I've put it out there. She was Roxy Hart in Chicago. Yes. Oh, and do you know who else is going to be? Who? My God, Erica Jane. <gasps> okay, which leads us to the girls. The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, the quickly. Girls. Do you know really who bad. I'm really here for? Who? Rena. Rena's a mate. She's a mate of mine. She's 50 Shades of fucking excellent. <laughs> She's excellent. She, she really is. Yeah, she's great. She's so fun. I did watch What Happens Live with her. It's just the two of you? I did a reveal. I did a Lisa Rinna Spank reveal. I um had a black dress on and, and I said I need to stand up for my tagline. And as I stood up, I was like, hang on, let me just fix my spanks. And they were like, huh? And then I pulled them down and they were le had Lisa Rinna's face all over them. And yeah, they loved it. And I, we're going to try and get them in the clubhouse. Oh, the, my God, you have spanks. to. Yeah. Leaving magic wherever you go, Celeste I, I Barber. Am. I'm some sort of unicorn. You really are. Celeste Barber, thank you so much for being on Unstyled oh, today. Thank you for having me. This has been, I don't want to go yet. Oh, you don't have to. We can, you can, we can stay. Oh, it's just nice. I feel like if there was incense in here as well, we could just kind of lie here and everything would be okay. Everything's okay as it is. It's been such a joy to talk oh, to thank you. thank you so much. This is the best way to start my day. Will you come back? Yeah. We're going to meditate now. Thank okay. you. Mwah. I hope you're inspired after hearing Celeste's story. 
For even more unstyled extras, check out Refinery29 or my Instagram at Christine Barbrick. You can also join the conversation using the hashtag unstyled across your social media. And of course, we'd be infinitely grateful if you'd please subscribe to Unstyled on Apple Podcasts and rate us while you're there. You can head over to refinery29.com to find this episode and more. And make sure to sign up for our exclusive Unstyled newsletter, delivered straight to your inbox every week. Our show today was produced by Chelsea Sanders and associate produced by Kate Spencer. Unstyled was edited by Anna Costanza and Alicia White. Our theme music today is by the artist Koff, and we recorded Unstyled with Paul Ruist at Argo Studios and Dubway Recording Studios in New York. We'll be back with another Unstyled conversation soon. And until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>